Hello, welcome to the Maybe Baby podcast. Oops, how do I start this thing? <laughs> Wait. Hi, this is Haley Nauman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To the Maybe Baby podcast. Okay. Hello, this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby podcast. Today, I'm going to be um, not reading, but rather talking about my last newsletter, which was my um, 21st. It was a dear baby, uh, meaning I answered five questions. Um, Based on some feedback I got last week, I decided I'm going to um, try to do more of an ad hoc reading versus um, just basically making an audio book version of the newsletter. So what I'm going to be doing is just talking through... um, the questions I answered. And I think I'm just going to do three out of five because I wanted to go a little deeper. Um, So even if you have read the newsletter, this should be at least a little bit fresh and different from what you've already gleaned. So what's extra special about this podcast is I'm going to be having some guests. (laughs) I'm going to be conversing with another person. This is huge. This is big. So I'd like to welcome my very first guest. His name is Avi Banerjee. He is my partner in cohabitation and in romance and in life. Can hi. you say hi? Hello. <laughs> welcome um, back, really. This is my second time on the podcast. Oh, that's true. That's true. He read the questions on a previous Dear Baby. So this is kind of his thing. Yeah. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, I also have another guest, which is Harling Ross. She was um, my colleague at Man Repeller and a good friend of mine. She... Um, was the perfect person to bring in to talk about editing and influencing since those are two things that um, we've done a lot together. So she'll be up next, but first we're going to start with the first question, which is on cohabitating. So um, I'll just read the question and then we'll just kind of freeball it and see where it takes us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, the question is, what advice do you have for a couple about to move into a one bedroom together? Anything that you're doing now to create space or allocating chores that you wish you did in the beginning? I'm about to move in with my boyfriend and I would love some creative or just practical ways to ease the transition of cohabitating. Okay, so um, I kind of explained the story of my and Avi's relationship, but I'll give you the spark notes here, which is um, Avi and I actually met as roommates, so our relationship started while cohabitating. Um we were kind of random Craigslist roommates and we didn't get together until halfway through the year. And we had always been good friends and close though. Yeah. Yeah. That's the time it took to gestate. I'd like to become (laughs) romantic. Yeah. And, um, once it did, we were a little bit like hesitant about being a real couple. We thought we were going to like ruin things by living together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's lots of potential messiness when you're dating someone that you also live very close to and in the same apartment. Yeah, you don't sound very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he likes me, I swear. Yeah, no, it was it was good, but like obviously complicated. Yeah, it was complicated. So I think um, <laughs> I think that like actually what ended up catapulting our relationship to a new level of seriousness was you moving out. Right. Yeah. Around around the time that like a lease renewal was being discussed, I think we both kind of were like, if we actually do want to take this to the next level, I got to move out. And so I moved three blocks away. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, remember, I was going to move out first. Is that true? Yeah, I was going to like I wanted to experience living by myself. But I realized once I started looking that I really couldn't afford it. Mm. And I was like, 
you can afford it. You go. <laughs> and so he decided to go. And then yeah. I moved into his room because he lived in like the basement of our apartment, which was like this. It was massive, but it was like also freezing and had no door. Yeah, it was big and it was dark and it was like a cave. Uh, there was like little natural light that made its way through, but it had a half bathroom. Oh, um, yeah, that was amazing. Which was huge. Yeah. And also, do you remember when you used to say that it didn't meet the basic requirements of a shelter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't on the lease. It was like in the eyes of the law, not an actual room. And and the rain. Yeah, and it flooded the first <laughs> couple of months that we were living there. We uh, <laughs> Some of my stuff got wet. Yeah, he didn't necessarily feel sheltered in there, but... Well, I also, I'm not really a nester. I'm not, it wasn't, it's not my, like, best quality. Yeah, his, his, his room was a little sparse. <laughs> yeah. I believe there was maybe a suitcase involved for like at least half a year. Yeah, I mean people have chests as like sort of like <laughs> furniture. It was a fabric chest with a zipper. You know, no, no, mine was just a suitcase. But I mean, it's like in the same vein as having like a chest at the end of your bed. Mm-hmm. You know, you have linens in there, and mm-hmm. I just happen to have clothing in mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, suffice it to say, when I moved in there, I made it look very different. It was good. Yeah. I mean, not that it was great. It was good, it though, in great. sharp contrast to what my room was. Yeah, that's Like, true. I had a huge space, but basically occupied 30% of it, and then there was just, like, a cold, dark basement. I know, but we were just saying we have such fond memories of, like, his setup, because I feel like that was, like, the most intense period of, like, falling in love in that yeah. room when you had it. And then yeah. when I had it, like, things were dead between us. <laughs> <laughs> just not, kidding. Not how I remember it, but okay. No, no, no. We had really nice times when I lived there, but I still have like such a soft spot for that empty basement you had. But anyway, um, so anyway, yeah, like when he, when you moved out down the street, yeah, we finally got actually a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of backwards, but I think that after that next year that us, that we lived separately, right. we considered moving back in together because we were really serious. Yeah, I think at that point, and yeah, it was serious, and we were like, you. I think you were kind of ready to move on from your from that apartment yeah i was certainly ready to move out of the shithole i moved into Um, (laughs) yeah we will not speak of that place yeah it's fine Um, although i have nice memories there too that's where i made my rice krispie punishments that's where you made the rice krispie punishments and uh you know uh i think that's the only good memory of that place (laughs) no i had a good birthday there too yeah you had a good um, birthday i think at that point we were ready to like kind of move on yeah and i remember you sorry to cut you off But I remember we were watching a movie at my house Mm -hmm. and you said, and we were sort of, we were watching a movie when nobody was home and we kept jumping every time we thought somebody was going to come in, like one of the roommates. Yeah. And I remember you said, maybe we should think about getting a place together. And I remember I was thinking the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we really felt on the same page and we were really excited. We actually kind of excited about the idea. Yeah. So we talked about it for a long time Mm -hmm. and... I had some reservations because I had never experienced living alone and I thought um, I was finally going to getting closer to being able to afford it, at least in certain areas right. of New York. And I was just like a little nervous. Like it I, was I think you you were also just like sort of more apprehensive about the idea of moving in together and like making sure that we were doing it sort of intentionally. That was a conversation that we had on some park bench somewhere. Yeah, we didn't wanna do it it was like really alluring to have cheaper rent or a nicer place yeah and i think we wanted to push back against just like the desire to make living in new york work logistically 
I know. And so we kind of were like trying to make sure that we were taking it slowly enough that it wasn't just about the logistics, but it was about like making sure that it was progressing our relationship. And the reason I think I was so um, cognizant of that was that um, I had I had moved in with a previous partner at a time that felt it felt kind of convenient. I mean, we were excited about it, too. But I think in hindsight, we were a little young. And like, I think if we had pushed back against just our sort of eagerness, like do this, make this big leap that like we would have actually enjoyed like living with roommates a little longer. And I think that like once we lived together, this ex and I, we, our lives became further entwined in a way that um, even though I had some reservations about us, made it really, really hard to break up. Not only because we were logistically intertwined, but also like we were more emotionally intertwined because we really shared our lives in a good way too. Right, yeah. And it was really nice to live together. But Uh I think it also meant that it was really, really hard for me to stomach my reservations because of how intertwined we were. So I I think I just was like... Yeah, it complicates things. It complicates things. And I was like, I was cognizant of the fact that moving in is a lot more serious than you think it is. It's not as simple as breaking the lease if things don't work out. And so you should never move in for convenience it should be because you want to progress the relationship yeah i think for me i was less apprehensive about all those things you were more yeah i mean but i don't I, really think i doubt i was i'm you know i was more mature i was 31 you were still in your <laughs> late 20s um but I, I don't know to me it was like i just didn't have the same sort of concerns i think that's probably just an indicative of the different type of people that we are but yeah um well another element was that i had just i had more recently moved to new york and i have i felt really protective of my independence and wanting to make sure that after i had just gotten out in a five-year relationship that had maybe stopped me from sometimes like making friends and going out and doing things i was really nervous about getting into another relationship that sucked up all my time and i thought i wanted to preserve that independence a little bit longer so there was a few that was how we ultimately decided against it. But mm-hmm. I remember it was really dramatic when we decided not to move in. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of um, it because w- we actually initially decided that we were going to. Yeah. And it was really exciting. And it was exciting. Yeah. And I got excited. But then you had sort of doubts and we talked through them. You kept saying, you know, it's still an option to not. Mm-hmm. It's still an option to not. And this was like for like maybe like six months. Yeah. I think I could sense your doubts. And also, I think one of the things that, you know. Memory being, you know, my memory is shit, but um, one of the things I, I kind of remember about that, that period was like thinking how important it was that you live on your own because, you know, I felt pretty serious about you and st- I still do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like if we moved in and things got more serious and continued to be serious, it's like, when was that opportunity for you to live on your own? Like right. you, you to me are someone who is like so good about making a space your own and just like I don't know you're you're like um that like forest deity in Princess Mononoke where just like flowers sprout at your feet you just like make a little place your own the moment you walk in and I I thought it would just be like kind of robbing you of an opportunity um to like sort of really flex that muscle you know you've always had to like sort of compromise your vision yeah Um, there were so many things about that like decision that I felt were evidence of how like um thoughtful you were of like my personality which is like wanting to give me an opportunity but also recognizing that it was it was 
it was a kindness to tell me that like I could go back on a decision. Like I feel yeah. like I'm such a, I can ruminate on things and like, I felt that once we were really excited about it that it would just be cruel to take it back. And I, it's not that I wanted to take it back. I think when you said, you know, it's still on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to f- know that. Like, you can still think about it. And I remember thinking, like, no, I don't want to. But then I ended up, I ended up, you ended up being right. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't exactly remember what my motivations were in saying that. I might have been trying to do some sort of Jedi mind trick thing. <laughs> thing. Just being, like, trying to be the good guy to assure you so that you would no, go No, you are a it. good guy. It's possible. What's the difference between trying to be the good guy and being the good guy? I'm not sure. Either way. Deep. Um, either way, ultimately I decided against it and it was kind of sad. I, I, I think there was a fear that like, I thought people would think that we weren't, yeah we were in a bad place or something. And I realized it felt, it kind of felt evolved and mature for us to like not care and know that we were strong and that it actually didn't have to do with Yeah. I think there was commitment. some kind of a strength to it. Um, yeah. I also think like it with the benefit of hindsight that we, I feel vindicated with the decisions that we made, you know? Yeah. It was really nice. I think like we took another year. We both moved to a new neighborhood, Beds Die, and but like fairly close to each other. Fairly close to each other again. Mm-hmm. So we were like, so our it wasn't too difficult to see each other, but we did kind of have our own spaces. And then I clawed my way into this apartment anyway. Yeah, and then a year later, mm-hmm. we were definitely ready. Yeah, and I remember thinking it was really nice to feel certain, like more than certain. Like it was like without a shadow of a doubt. And I was like, it was so nice to make a decision with no doubt. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think at that point I was racked with doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to like say that. I mean, maybe it's false to say that you can ever make a decision without any doubt. Because I do believe that like doubt exists and it is just there and you have to sort of stomach it sometimes. But I really didn't feel it in this situation. And I felt like it was really nice for my personality mm-hmm. to not have to take a leap on yeah. that particular one because I'm actually like pretty good at committing mm-hmm. like I don't think of myself as a commitment phobe so like maybe someone who is a commitment phobe I have to like push against themselves in a different way but for me it was really nice to like take an extra year yeah yeah I think for me I didn't really have I continue to not have any doubts but I make a lot of important life decisions with like a dumb amount of confidence <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that sometimes works out yeah it's it really has worked out in my favor for most of my life but, I mean, you're also, like, an anxiety case, so let's just, like, not mischaracterize you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not, like, blindly confident in an annoying way is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to celebrate your anxiety, but, like, you're a thoughtful person. Yeah, but I'm also anxious. Let's not. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. But anyway, so now that we live together, mm-hmm. not that we've, like, fully answered this question. I think I wanted to tell that story. Or I don't I think did. we've answered the question at all. No, I was just going to say <laughs> we haven't at all. But the reason I answered or offered that anecdote um, – is to say that I think the most important, one of the most important parts of moving in is like recognizing the decision that you've made and like thinking of it as important and and knowing that it's actually not casual and yeah. that it's really good. By the time we were moving in together, we were really, we had talked a lot about what we were afraid of and also why we wanted to. And it felt like there was a lot of intention behind it that I think ultimately parlayed nicely into like a general sense of intention with like sharing a home. I also think that the other, I agree. Yeah. And I also think that the other thing that the year apart gave us was, A, an opportunity for you to, like, really sort of um, branch out and develop your network in New York, Mm -hmm. which was, like, one of the things that you were worried wasn't going to happen. So, like, again, vindicated. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that still permeates through our relationship is like the independence. I mean, <laughs> with the sort of asterisk being like, I haven't seen basically anyone else for <laughs> half a year. Yeah. Not much independence right now. But I think we try to assert our independence even in this situation. Yeah. Um, I think like for us, like quality time is really important to our relationship and I think it comes really naturally. Mm-hmm. So I think that what we have found is that it's it's really important to nurture our independent lives and our separateness and that actually that's good for our um, like our intimacy and our closeness. It feels yeah. it makes us feel more intentional and stuff. Yep. So that's another part of like what I think we've learned a lot about living together is that like keeping in touch on those things, whatever they might be for you and your partner is helpful one thing that we do is we like check in once a month yeah. which is like a time for us to we typically like go to breakfast somewhere but this is before yeah this is all before, before. this is all before times um uh sorry i just got a text from my mom <laughs> <laughs> anyway so what we would do is we would go out to breakfast and we would like go through like a little agenda basically just like the general topics like i think we would talk about like um like the last month like how it had gone we would talk about like sex and money and friends and family and like our future yeah we just wanted to hit all the third rail topics <laughs> yeah and just I sort th- of deflate yeah. any of the tension that might have been building up yeah and i think like it was also a time to talk about what had been going really well mm-hmm. like it was nice to, to stop and acknowledge like oh like i feel like we've been like really good like teammates recently with these things like i like how you've been doing this a lot and i've been doing this a lot and it feels sort of like we're both giving, like, our best versions or, like, whatever it might be. Like, it's nice to just, like, acknowledge that. There's a little relationship self-care. Yeah. Yeah. We don't always go through the whole agenda, but um, sometimes it's an opportunity to bring up something that, like, you maybe wouldn't have brought up otherwise because, like, it maybe feels sort of loaded or random or, like, to just, like, to bring up, like, something that kind of annoyed you randomly on the couch would just be, like, it would feel really aggressive. But I feel like when we have a check-in, it's, like, Oh, well, now that we're talking about it, like this, when this happened, I thought you meant this and it made me feel this. And like, is that what you meant? Or like, whatever it is. Right. It gives it space. Yeah. Of space to be like kind of aggressive or like the things that could be misconstrued in a different context. Yeah. Like, I feel like there have been times where we've gotten into a whole topic about how we saw something slightly differently that like didn't even wasn't even really a problem and like or like maybe we would have never thought to talk about it but it ultimately like helped us learn more about each other well i know what you're referring to and i can't believe you're bringing this up in front of all the listeners <laughs> wait i actually don't know I'm what you're oh, okay i was gonna say i don't even know um yeah i mean actually there was times where like we felt like we over talked about stuff though yeah i think sometimes i think the, the pitfall with it and it's like you know we we it's like a work in progress we're always dialing it in i think sometimes we became so focused on certain things or like it ended up we ended up just sort of like blowing things out of proportion because we were so focused on addressing like, like all the difficult yeah all the difficult yeah. stuff that it almost became um i think originally we were supposed to like have pancakes and stuff to <laughs> offset some of the like sort of harshness of the 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 check-in itself but sometimes it just felt like we were kind of brewing up like a storm cloud above us so i mean it wasn't a perfect system but i think or like bringing up conflict when we were actually in really good moods originally (laughs) like something like that just going to brunch and killing our whole vibe (laughs) yeah but i think that like (laughs) i think that so that was definitely like there i think there got to a point where we were like okay you know 
this is actually like probably we don't need to talk about that or like let's just like have breakfast today because that would actually be better for our relationship or something Mm -hmm. um but i would say it's not that it would like blow out of proportion or anything it'd be more that like we would be like talking back and forth about something that like ultimately we didn't really care about like it'd be like we just gave too much air to things that were otherwise like yeah we didn't really care about (laughs) Yeah, and we would yeah. be like, wait, I actually don't really care about this, do you? And you'd be like, no. <laughs> and then we would move on. So I think it's like, it's a balance and like, you don't want to, I feel like, it, you know, there's probably a line at which point you've like overanalyzed or like over talked about something. Yeah, there's a line. Definitely. Um, but, but we kind of like have been slacking on our check-ins in the core. Yeah. And we really miss them. And it made us realize that like, we, well, we've been talking because we've been in such constant contact, but um, we may we've, we've realize that like being in touch is like not really what the check-in's about. Yeah, I think some we've lost some of the sort of forward-looking aspects of our relationship because we're not taking the time. So and the future feels like so blurry. It's like why would we talk about like having kids when like the world might implode? Why? What's happening? <laughs> I haven't been on the news in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. So I think that like, so the check-ins and like whatever that might be for you, maybe it's not like such an official meeting or maybe it's not every month, but like for us, it's been really important to figure out like how do our lives overlap now that we live together and like what is really, what's important to like stay checked in with each other because sometimes we also like feel differently about different things at different times. And or what I meant to say is sometimes I feel differently at different times. So like what I say one time I might not feel that same way another time. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you can say that, like, you can get mad at someone for being inconsistent, but that's just how people are. Like, we're fluid. And so a lot of the importance of chatting is, like, courting each other's fluidity and, like, yeah. respecting that we ha- feel different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing, I think, like, I did bring up some things uh, in the end that, like, we do um, as roommates that I think are kind of fun. Maybe we could talk about some of them. Sure. Like, one of them I said is that, like, sometimes we go to bed at different times. But I feel like that's more like you let me go to bed alone. That's more like I want to play Zelda on the couch. <laughs> no, I feel like it's like you – I thought you wanted me to go to bed alone. Yeah, that's what I was – that's what I said, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, but I feel like sometimes, like, he, he's being modest. I feel like sometimes you'll really give me time to, like, go to – like, I don't know, like, t- snuggling in and, like – Whatever I want to do, like listen to a podcast or like watch an ASMR video or like read. Yeah, the or, like, ASMR whatever. videos don't hit the same when I'm in bed. So like, <laughs> it just feels sad that she like has to give that up forever. Yeah, that's true. Cause I don't watch it as much with him because I feel like he's like right there, and it's just creepy that I'm like watching someone tap a microphone. I don't care, but like that said, he likes it. He yeah. puts them on sometimes when we're hanging out in the house. Yeah, I just find for them, fun. I find them fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I feel like another thing we do. I mean, first of all. One thing about living together is just, like, you're constantly cleaning the house. I mean, this is, like, any house, but we're constantly cleaning our house, and, like, that requires a lot of, like, teamwork and, like, cleaning when you're not in the mood. I mean, uh, the elephant in the room is that Bug is just constantly producing some sort of dander. <laughs> That's true. Our cat is very messy. <laughs> he, he is, in a, like, just a full-time job to make the house not feel like some sort of cat habitat. That's true, but I also don't even feel like like you're always cleaning anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, like, Avi is really good about, like, I sometimes get really caught up on, like, parody. Like, if he did this thing once, I need to do it once. And, like, everything needs to be really even. And he's sort of always pushed back and said that uh, it's not about, like, perfect equity. It's about, like, just both contributing. And, by the way, he says that being, like, a really big contributor to the house maybe sometimes more than me. So I think that, like, he sometimes 
wants to emphasize that like I bring other things to the house and so it's okay if like he cleaned the kitchen by himself yeah, or like something I think like a that. chores list would just not work for us because no. like how do you how do you quantify some of those things like I bring so many like sure I'll, I'll cook a, maybe more meals or something but he like he cooks way more than me I also just bring much more angst into the house I feel like and you have to like diffuse that and how, how do you put that on a chore thing and put like a gold star sticker next to it <laughs> yeah you can't um I had an ex-girlfriend who who told me about this thing she read in some help self-help book or something. It was called like the 200% something or other. And the whole idea is that you just always constantly try to bring, like, do the effort of both people. And then um, just because like that, that's what's going to make you happy. Like, I, I feel happiest when there is food and there's like a clean house. And like, that's what my focus should be on. What like. Rather than, like, half and half. Rather than trying to, yeah, meet some sort of, like, goal of parity. Like, I also probably get more out of stuff, like, cooking at home. Like, I like the process. I like to eat home-cooked meals. I think you like to go, or back when there was a city, you used to go out and, like, explore more. And it's it's silly to, for the way that we Or I like to, like, make the bed and, like, I like the house to look a certain way. Yeah, that's true. I've never made made the bed. (laughs) Is that true? It's not totally. I, I'm a big, I'm a big bed maker. I'm not like in general, I feel like I, they're just like we, the point is, is that like we have different strengths and I think that we respect each other's strengths while like also recognizing that sometimes you just have to like do the thing you don't want to do yeah, to like exactly. contribute to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we do a lot of like, wait, what were we talking about? Like party clean. Like when you get the house, I talked about this in my last podcast, mm-hmm. but one thing I've, I, I left out, which is that like when you get the house party clean. Not only is everything put away and looking really nice, and not is it not only is everything really clean, like swept and mopped and stuff, but there's also like music on and candles lit, including in the bathroom. Yeah, it's like you're ready to receive guests, but actually nobody's coming. It's just you. That's the best. You have to cleanse the atmosphere as well. Yeah, so I feel like we do. We take time to like make it really nice in here and like cook a dinner, and and I think that like regularly making the house feel like that, and like it's sort of like treating ourselves like guests right yeah i think we take those things seriously as roommates that's a nice way to put it yeah so we feel like we're like you know a couple (laughs) as we ostensibly are um do we have advice what (laughs) What about bodega santa okay yeah that's the best tip the the best way to sustain a relationship is every time you go to a bodega or just run into the store yeah every time you run into a store just fuck it up Every single time. Always, if you have an impulse to buy something, just get it. If you know they want something like a Pele- San Pellegrino, just get it. Yeah, like, he always comes home with tr- extra treats, and I try to do that for him. And yeah. it's, like, so, it's so sweet. Yeah, like, just, like, an unexpected box of Pocky just <laughs> hits different. It does. It's got to be unexpected. I feel like being a Bodega Santa for each other is a good part of being roommates. Yeah. Um, I feel like we try to not default to the TV too much. Like, we definitely watch TV, but especially more in the core. But I feel like we try to have, like, art time where, like, maybe you're playing music and I'm drawing or you're drawing and I'm reading. Like, kind of uh, chill time that's not, like, always so screen-focused. Yeah, I I would say I definitely try to stay away from screens. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a gag. Don't, yeah. Don't quote me on that. No, um, we try, though. We do try. Yeah, I would say broadly the mega entertainment complex that we've set up in America is rotting all of our brains and, and destroying 
the fabric of our society. I once wrote a, a story actually from Randall Park years ago about, um, I, I just skimmed right past that, <laughs> um, about like what Netflix was doing to couples. Oh yeah, I remember that one. And like so many couples, I like interviewed like hundreds of couples, but they were all like saying that like they weren't having, like they were having like less sex. Cause like they would like watch Netflix until like they were so dead tired that they would just like drag themselves into bed. And then, or like they just became so focused on like a show that like they wouldn't really like talk during dinner and they like, they just generally were having less quality time with their partner. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've never really been like a huge Netflix guy. He, Avi doesn't really like to like binge watch shows. So that's actually been, sometimes it's annoying. So I'm like, can we just binge watch something? And sometimes you give in. Sometimes I give in. Sometimes you give in. But I think that like ultimately you have sort of a resistance to it that has been good for our relationship. I'm a movie guy. I think like doing one thing that's like two hours is more my speed than like, I don't know. I just can't bring my like TV just doesn't yeah. feel the same. And like, you, I don't know. We don't want to watch a movie every night. So I feel like it, it keeps us. It just keeps us like not defaulting so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good. I think if if you can try to do that when living with a partner it will help keep you, like, more present with each other. Yeah. Um, but I would say overall is that we put a lot of effort into our relationship into living together, like a ton. Yeah, like there, a, there's yeah. no, like, one-size-fits-all answer because everyone needs different shit. Like, even our just our check-ins, like, that works because we both are people who are constantly mining our emotions and, like, express ourselves well. And if you don't do that, then you're just getting a quiet brunch that's kind of tense. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, everyone has a has a different every like relationship's different and every person's different. So I don't want to be too prescriptive, which is why like most of this has just been anecdotal. Yeah, but. it's like literally just get snacks from the from <laughs> the corner store. That's really the only universal advice. Well, what what I think what I was trying to end on is that like, <laughs> um, I think I used to think that a relationship should be easy, um, and I think I sometimes misinterpreted that idea. Meaning that, like, you don't really need to, like, litigate everything or talk about everything. It should just be easy. But but I think that I've learned with our relationship, um, based on just, like, how much effort we put into it, that um, it's be- it's easy because of how much we put into it, I right. would say. Like, yeah. I would say that it's kind of paradoxical, but, like, the effort makes it easy. And I think that there's maybe more than that like putting so much intention attention and intention into our relationship is like a kind of love i i have nothing to add that's great yeah, you should so be a writer <laughs> so there's something to think about as you move in i hope this hasn't been 30 minutes oh no 36 okay we're good we're good oh, no it's been actually 30 minutes because whatever it doesn't matter um okay i think that's good cool what do you think i thought it was great thank you so much avi for joining Oh, my pleasure. It's been great. And now I'm going to bring on one Harlan Gross. <laughs> Just kidding. Her name's Harlan Ross, but sometimes people misattribute her Instagram handle to Harlan Gross, which I think is really funny. I do too. Okay. Bye, Avi. Bye. Hi, Harlan. Thank you so much for being on the pod. I am honored to be here. <laughs> What's up, Doc? What you been up to? Well, today is my first official day of not being employed by Manorpeller. Um, wow. So it's a pretty – today's an important day in my life. Um, big change. But it, um, it's so weird. I was talking about this with Mallory that, like, I think it would feel more significant if I wasn't 
in quarantine because like I'm still you know waking up and like putting on my ugly t-shirt and working from home all day (laughs) like it's not like the texture of my life is completely the same as it was last week and the week before so um it I think it would it feel like it it's making it it's taking the emotional charge out of the transition in a way that's actually kind of nice dude that's exactly how I felt yeah because like I still feel confused because I went as listeners may or may not know freelance the exact day that New York went into lockdown so (laughs) and I don't even know if like how I feel now is because of lockdown or because of freelance or it's very confusing right because the experiences are completely overlapped yeah like the kind of like I, I mean I've heard that with freelancing you kind of feel like unmoored and like isolated and, like, you kind of have to, like, self-motivate and your schedule's kind of weird. And isn't that exactly what lockdown does also? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're getting a double dose. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's double dose. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. What did you do today on your first free day? I, well, I was telling you this before we started <laughs> recording, but I feel like I've kind of squandered my first day in the sense that I have just been sitting at my laptop and like checking off various life administrative tasks, like scheduling a dentist appointment and like responding to emails I haven't responded to. So it hasn't been a very glamorous um, first day of freedom, but I did go on a long walk and chatted with a friend on the phone. So if my voice sounds extra raspy during this podcast interview, that's why. Honestly, the raspier, the better. Am I your, are, are Avi and I your first ever guest? Yes, right? Yeah. Well, you know that one time Avi, like, read the questions for a previous Dear Baby? I didn't listen to that episode. Okay. He just was, like, the question reader, so, like, just because I wanted a, a different voice, but he was, um, he was, like, really having trouble reading the questions, and I, I felt so vindicated because I found it, like, surprisingly hard to read the written word, like, without fucking up. I don't know. It's a lot harder than it sounds, and so I felt was feeling very, like, yeah, because how often are we actually reading things out loud? So rarely. And I, I, I did that same thing where I, I, I recorded a story that I wrote for Instagram once. And I like every sentence felt like a booby trap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also that's you know what? This is a really great segue yeah. into self-editing because one of my tips was to read your work out loud because it does make you realize when something's like overcomplicated or like rhythmically off. Yeah, that was my, um, that's probably my number one. And also maybe like, it's so, it's so, it's so satisfying because it's so easy and works so well, (laughs) but I'm an obsessive reader out louder. I think, I think it like exposes which of my sentences are the most fraudulent, like trying to be, trying to pose as something fancy when they should just be really straightforward you know what I mean oh my god yeah overly overly wrought like uh thousand dollar word sentences yes can just sound really corny out loud yes okay um let me just quickly read this question to transition us into this and then we can just sort of shoot the shit great okay I have recently begun writing creative nonfiction. any advice for new writers on how to edit their work I'm going to be published in a magazine in October and I'm excited but nervous and have a draft written but need to get it in a place where I can feel good about sending it to the editor. Thank you. Um, I actually got a couple different questions on self-editing. The other question was basically like how do you become a better writer if you don't have an 
mentor or an editor? And um, I loved both of these questions because I'm such a self-editor and I really believe in self-editing and doing it a lot before you send something for someone else to read. Um, And like as you've experienced, I'm sure, Harling, I have been, I can be pretty um, stringent about self-editing. Like I always got frustrated when people, when I perceived what they had turned in as like lazy yeah, I know. I feel like we should like we should tell people about like ba- I mean basically like when I when Haley and I both worked at Mandrapeller at the same time, Haley would edit everything that I wrote. So um, I'm very familiar with her editing style, <laughs> and which is why <laughs> I well I was so delighted when you got this question because self editing is like one of Haley's. I'm not gonna call it a soapbox because that makes it sound like a negative thing, but like it's definitely like one of your things. As an editor, yes, I would say. Absolutely. Well, that's why I fucking loved editing you because you were beyond anyone else I edited, like really good at self-editing. Like what like I, I, for people who aren't like in publishing, what you call it is like a clean draft. It means like somebody has clearly cleaned up their writing and like gone over it a lot and that you can tell that by the time they've sent it to you, they have probably like read over it a hundred times. And when you get a draft that's not clean it's like you can tell that somebody sort of shot from the hip and they you know that didn't really that didn't, sentence didn't really make sense but like whatever keep going and like it's sort of like the very very first version which I don't think is actually like a finished draft yeah it, so like it's it's interesting because I even before um I knew we were going to talk about this on the podcast I a couple weeks ago read this story by Megan O'Connell in the cut. I don't know if you read it. It was about self-editing. I think it was called like Revision is no. My God. <laughs> Wait, it was called what? Called Revision is My God. Uh, oh, love it. And yeah, it, it made me think of you the whole time. But I, I bookmarked this quote from it. I'm just going to read it. Um, Imagine taking the very sharpest thought you had each day for two years and then adding it to a pile. If someone walked by and looked at your pile of best thoughts, you'd think they were a genius. They might see your thoughts and feel things. It might be an encounter with the sublime. This is the promise of revision. Um, and I love this quote because, and I think it's I think it's an important one in that like published writing can be so deceptive um, because mm-hmm. like the easier and more fluid something sounds, the more nitpicking and belaboring and drafting probably went into it. Um, and I know that like there are legendary instances in which writers are like, oh, it just flowed out of me. But like... <laughs> I hate I hate hearing that because I think like 99.9% of the time if it felt suspiciously easy to write then you should probably be suspicious of whether or not it's actually done. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's so true and it's funny you bring that up because kind of what Avi and I talked about with moving in is that it's actually a lot of work to make it easy and I think the same can be said about writing like there when you read someone's writing, it really does sound like they just sort of typed it out, like, do-do-do, like, word by word, like, beginning to finish, but it's just not like that at all. Yeah, and also, for the record, like, my best work has never flowed out of me. I have never had that experience yet, just like I've never had a runner's <laughs> high. I'm still waiting. Um, <laughs> but, like, as challenging as Revision B, I also think that's what, you know, when you put that much work into something, it's also what makes it so satisfying, even though it can be hair- a hair-pulling experience. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I would like to just correct the record a little bit, which is I think that actually good writing has flowed out of you. And that's one of your like talents. Like Harling was known at Manor for being able to whip out an essay on like in in 
a couple hours that was somehow like brilliant. <laughs> it wasn't like you, <laughs> it wasn't like you're, okay, you weren't doing like your big, big pieces in a couple hours. That's like, that. that's, you know, that's offensive to the work you were putting into that. But I would say that like when you were on the kind of news beat, it was hard for anyone else to volunteer to do it because they felt like you were just so much better at it. And like, you would just give me clean drafts. It was just, it was sort of incredible. But, and I do think that actually like writing has flowed out of me at times too, but it's just not a guarantee. And I'm still always going back and editing that a lot. Yeah, totally. And I think like it, revision kind of requires you to have this faith in, in your own ability to improve your work, which, which Megan definitely talks about in that essay I was just mentioning, but I also think it requires you to have faith in the reliability of what revision does. And even if like, even if you have this piece that you're really happy with and you just go over it one time, even that one time will always leave you with something better than what you started with. And I think the more that you do that and see that, then the more you trust it's necessary. Yeah. And I think that sometimes the problems that you don't want to fix, like maybe it's because you really like a turn of phrase or it just feels like it's breaking your brain. Like it will be so much better when you fix it. Like it will be better than it was before, even when you like had to kill the darling or whatever you had to do to get it there. Like I find that sometimes I really don't want to fix something because I feel like it's going to mess it all up. But just doing a little extra work and finding a better way to say it, it's just always so much better. It just takes a little bit of will. <laughs> yeah. And you also get more familiar with what your, not flaws are, but like what your bad habits are as a writer. Um, mm -hmm. What are your bad habits? I think that I, my, I'm, I'm very easily seduced by overly descriptive language and like sort of like the thrilling, how thrilling it is to feel like I've written something pretty. Um, mm -hmm. But then. Well, you are a very pretty writer. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, just fishing for compliments during this, this. That, but um, I I feel like one of my tricks is I go back and bold every metaphor I use in an essay, and then I force myself to ask whether they're actually doing the true work of a metaphor, which is I think to portray something in a new and hopefully visceral way. And if it's not doing that, then it's probably overwrought, or the connection is too obvious or self conscious, and I need to cut it, even though it's it's really hard to cut metaphors because I'm always the most proud of them. <laughs> Dude, meta I, that's such a, I'm so glad you brought that up because mixed metaphors is like it's actually really hard to catch them. I was trying to when I I did my example, I think the one that I used in the story or in my answer was um wait, let me find it. Oh yeah, she cracked me open then hung me out to dry. Like that's not even that good of an example. I feel like I would write that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same, but I feel like I feel like sometimes they're so much more insidious. Like sometimes you don't realize something's a metaphor. Like you're like, say you're saying like I slipped into sleep or something like that where you're sort of used to using that language non-metaphorically, but ultimately it actually is a metaphor. And so you have to be careful of um, like inconsistency in the sentence or even like using 10 different metaphors in a piece. Like you can make it all the same metaphor with a little extra work, you know? Yes. And what you were right, like what you wrote about in your answer about being precise, I think like actually all of your every all the advice that you give kind of ties back to that theme. Like revision just makes you it forces you to be more precise. Yeah. So I think I said um, be specific. So using like a more specific verb um, and then being careful. So like make sure that your sentence I mean, this is just like one thing I ran into a lot with 
with when I was editing was just like a sentence not making sense and me just me just like trying not to be patronizing but just being like hey like can you just like read this sentence for me and and just like confirm that it doesn't make sense because I know that they know it doesn't but they just wrote it anyway (laughs) so I feel like just like being more careful like actually reading through and like making sure that the logic flows and then I also said being concise like I know that I'm sure you remember how important efficiency is to me and I think sometimes I can be overly efficient where like a sentence is just like crammed with too much meaning and it's like it breaks your brain to even read it yes (laughs) so it's a balance um and then let me just read through I said avoid cliches kill your darlings read it aloud I talked about starting strong and having a good lead and then unclouding your thinking which that's obviously such a big one like obviously um good writing is clear thinking and if you are sort of confused about a topic that is going to be transmitted into your writing and um like I think this was probably the largest effort I ever made with editing which was just helping someone be clearer about what what they were trying to convey which is like a challenge with my own writing too obviously and admittedly something that I don't have to do as rigorously with my newsletter because it kind of wanders here and there which I think is actually like so freeing and wonderful but I do think that ultimately it's best to have clarity of thought as much as possible when you, before you're wrapping something up like it's just too obvious if it's confusing to you than it will be to the reader yeah and I feel like that can happen really easily in internet writing when you're writing on a schedule and like you pitch something that might not be fully like the idea might not be fully formed yet but you have to write it that particular week or whatever um Mm -hmm. and you just it's so obvious when you know someone when at least like when I'm writing and I I'm I'm doing my first revision it's obvious when I haven't thought through something enough because my writing is just crap Oh my god, that is such a problem with internet writing. Like, and I think that as internet readers, people who are not as related to the creation of the content, they, I sometimes think that they imagine a much longer and arduous process. Yeah, it's like we write like most of the stories that we wrote. I would say that we wrote like day of the deadline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say except for the bigger stories, obviously. But even those, we did not have as much time as probably you would think. Um, so much of the work involved in like publishing on a media site is invisible. So I think that I always felt sort of self-conscious that we were always talking about how um, long our hours were and stuff based on like what our output was. But it just so much more goes into a story than is probably visible. And one other thing I was thinking about with rushing your work is the opposite can also be true, which is that it's overly conclusive and overly tied up in a bow. Um, and... I think that sometimes when you're rushing work or you don't really know how to end something, there is um, there's almost an instinct to kind of um, have like a really nice like the end moment where you're like, and since then I realized like you just can't worry too much or like, and that's why we are the way we are or like something that's just um, overly definitive. I think it can it can sort of cheapen what you've written. So I think on the one hand, you do want to be really clear and thorough with your thinking. But on the other hand, you don't want to overly moralize and kind of pretend that it's all solved because that's typically not true. So I think like it's it's a balance. Yeah. And, and to, can... this, 
like it I, it's also worth I think you you touch on this in your answer too but there is like as much as important as self-editing is like I it's such a privilege to then have someone else look at your piece who is also an editor like that is such a it can be such a comfort especially if you're writing about such a like a like a tricky topic or a sensitive topic um it just like yeah it's a peace of mind and so even if you after you self-edit then like even if you don't have access to a professional editor or writer or whatever to look over your work I'm addressing this amorphous person now but I would recommend just like sending it to someone you trust to read over before you submit it yeah totally having fresh eyes I mean important caveat harling reads all my newsletters before they go out (laughs) yes it's a very selfish um like i pass it off as editing but in reality i like insert two commas and then say that i've participated in the in the process but um (laughs) (laughs) no it makes it's so much it's so nice to know that someone else is is reading it but but you're right that i think sometimes i i lean too far in the self-editing direction and i do think there should be a relationship with the editor where Sometimes they work through your thinking and things like that. And I've had like really gratifying editing experiences where like I worked with a writer and like we completely transformed the piece and like we were both really excited about where it landed. And that is part of the editing process. And actually, I did that all the time. Yes. The editing process can really be intense even after you've done a lot of self-editing. The goal I think of editing, and I wrote this in my answer, is to make the piece better. It's not really to like fix it if it's a mess. Um, well, it can be. And I did that plenty. And I kind of I still kind of like doing that. I mean, editing is fun um, if you have time for it. But I do tend to think that a piece is better if um, by the time you're bringing an editor in, it's not a complete disaster. <laughs> um, and that's where I do think that like practice will help and probably working with somebody who's like um, more understanding of your level will will like be beneficial. Yeah, and who can also point out when a sentence sounds sort of like wonky. And the more someone points that out to you, then the more I think you can start to see it in your own work without that extra set of eyes. Yes, and I also think this is why people say that reading is so useful for writing because um, obviously reading is more than just like gleaning the information. You're like watching sentences be made. And like the more you've read, the more you have like an instinct for what, sounds good and what doesn't I don't know it's it's kind of like it's hard to explain but it is it's there in like the back of your mind when you're writing yeah I honestly really I feel it when I haven't been reading a lot that my writing suffers and I need to then like dip back into the 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 trough (laughs) me too like do you ever sometimes like before I'm writing a particular piece I'll go read something by a writer that's sort of like in the tone I'm going for or like Not, like, that I'm copying their tone, but, like, if I'm writing something funny, I'll go read something by, like, Katie Weaver. But if I'm writing something that's, like, really soft and emotional, I'll read something by, like, Leslie Jameson. Or, like, just, like, pick a writer who matches what I'm, like, what I need to get in the mood for. It kind of hypes you up a little bit to write in that style. (laughs) Yeah, or it's, like, it's inspiring. You get, yeah, exactly. You get energized by it. And it's nice. Yeah, it's good to feel like, oh, this is what good funny writing is. Do you have writers like that that you read that, like, get you in the mood? Oh, my gosh. Now I feel like I every writer I've ever known has disappeared from my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yes. I mean, definitely. Honestly, like, Megan O'Connell comes to mind because I also read her her memoir recently, which I loved. And Leslie Jameson, for sure. Um, I also just read 
um, Luster by Raven Leilani. And it was like anyone who was trying to learn how to write descriptively in a way that doesn't feel um, trite or overwrought should read this novel because it's so the 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 writing is so lush um but it's done in a way that like just it feels so almost obvious like why didn't I ever think of that this way of illustrating this point before because it's so um it's lush but straightforward at the same time so it just it's masterful and I'm telling everyone to read it wow that kind of the way you just described that reminds me of um did you read on on earth we're briefly gorgeous by Ocean Vuong you know I haven't read it yet (laughs) But it's one of those books that I'm like, I know that I need to read this because it just it, it's but it, I also have to be I also know that I have to be in the right mindset because it's kind of it's kind of quasi poetry, right? Yes, I was gonna say that. So to be completely honest, I did not finish it. But I do plan to just kind of pick it up here and there. It's but it it definitely kind of broke my mind open in terms of like what's possible with story. Um, it's like very it's very poetic um and sometimes it's like astonishing what he's done with the prose it, it's like unlike anything I've read before but it just reminded me when you were describing literally. yeah girl woman other by Bernardine um Everista was kind of like that too she really plays with like she kind of doesn't um she doesn't care about the normal rules of and I put rules in like in invisible quotation marks of writing like she'll like leave a period out or like kind of lop one sentence over <laughs> onto the next line do you like that I'm such a rule follower it really worked with this particular book it just felt like I was it made it have a rhythm that was all its own in a way that was nice for the um for this particular book it doesn't always work and I think you have to be really good at it to make it work yeah how do you feel about this is just a pet peeve of mine but I really don't like when writers don't put quotes around quotes like around dialogue oh you know who does that sally rooney wait really i don't remember that yes there are no quotes and it oh my god that annoys me so much i know and honestly like i didn't even realize it when i was reading it at the time but i've been kind of like playing around with fiction writing just for fun on my own and so i went back to read some scenes from normal people to just get in like because i like that book so much and um i wanted to just kind of observe her writing again and I noticed that there weren't quotes around what people were saying (laughs) sometimes I I like it when I'm like telling a story and so there feels some there's something sort of stream of consciousness about it but when it's like in a whole book I'm like this is actually just like creating a barrier to understanding like I don't I don't get it it feels like overly stylized yeah um okay I think that we I think that we've covered a lot of ground and there's like obviously in my written version, it's a lot more um, specific. So if anyone listening, you're interested in that, um, the written version is probably a little more useful for like proper rules. Yeah, I even found it helpful to read. It's just so nice to have it like broken out like that because these are all things that become unconscious, I guess. I always mix up unconscious and subconscious. But anyways. (laughs) I feel like subconscious is like it's buried underneath and unconscious is like you're not conscious of it okay unconscious then so okay but just a little just a little live editing just a little live (laughs) editing exactly okay let's get into the next question because somehow we've already talked for 30 minutes beautiful um yeah and I don't want this thing to be like over an hour so I do we can we can (laughs) 
<laughs> we can make these other ones a little a little shorter. Although I feel like editing is like the one that people are least interested in listening to us talk about. <laughs> so now we're gonna go at least another half an hour, maybe more. <laughs> no, we're gonna have to cut it though if that happens. Okay, so the next one is on influencing. Um, I'm just gonna read the question and then let's chat. What the fuck was it like to go from a regular human being to a de facto influencer when you joined Man Repeller? So I um, can I ask one question? Yeah, Ren, I'm I'm reading over the doc that you sent with the with the questions, and it says, at least in this version that I'm reading, it says, "What was it like to go from a regular human being?" <laughs> yes, I feel like that is the final version as well. Okay, perfect. That's important <laughs> to me. So thank you for confirming. It's also important to me. Um, okay, so this is a perfect one for us to answer together because I feel like we sort of. If you want to call us influencers, I guess for the purpose of this, I'm going to I'm going to say that we are in the sense that like we've garnered a following on Instagram and some brands have like asked us to um, like brands have at, at points paid us to advertise for them, um, which I feel like is probably the most like literal definition of influencer. Although the softer one is just that like people listen to what you say or some people listen to what you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so to that point. We, this we kind of became influencers at the same time and I feel like we went through a lot of the um sort of emotional experience of it and even like the business side of things like at the same time so I feel like we talked about it ad nauseum and leaned on each other a lot and still talk about it all the time so I feel like it's perfect for us to discuss yes I'm excited about this one yeah so one of the things that stuck out to me that I feel like we talked about was like going through a phase of like feeling like people recognized you. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I talked about um, how like there I had a string of run-ins where I was like being recognized a little bit more on the street than I had ever been. And I think it was, you know, maybe it was like four times in a week or something like that. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like people like know who I am and they're like watching me. And I think that, I don't know if it was like getting big headed or if I was more like paranoid or maybe just like a combination. But I remember going through like a phase. It didn't last that long of just like feeling like everybody knew who I was. Yeah. And it's also it's such a weird mentality because I think that like at this on, on the one hand, you're like so many people in this environment can recognize me. And on the other hand, you're like, I am like a narcissistic monster for even entertaining that notion (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely well and the other the other like wrench to throw into that calculus to use a mixed metaphor (laughs) um is that like you also just feel like an absolute nobody at the same time Mm -hmm. so like on top of that like I'm still sometimes thrown like I I remember I, I was talking to a friend a new friend um a few months ago and she said well what's it like to be famous or something like that and I was just like absolutely thrown by the question it just seemed so absurd to me like it's like you know I just feel oh first of all I don't think most people would categorize me as famous so I'm not saying that she was correct but um but like it just is it feels so silly because I just most of the time feel like a, another anonymous person like everyone else so I feel like that I feel like that but then I also sometimes feel like oh, that person's looking at me weird. And then, oh, I'm also a monster for think they're looking at me weird. So it's just, it's like a confluence of emotions that don't make sense together. Yeah, I mean, also like a warped habit that I picked up is I feel like I have, 
I know what the, I know what Manor Peller's demographic is. And so I have kind of a, an assumption based understanding of like, who is likely to recognize me, you know, like a woman in her twenties who is like, usually there are certain like, like she looks like she's interested in fashion or whatever, like there are certain indicators. And so I feel like an extra degree of that. I might be being recognized right now mentality when I encounter someone who kind of like checks those boxes. Right. Absolutely. Same. Like, I think I, I don't think I felt it with like, you know, random like middle-aged men. Right. 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 (laughs) But yeah, there is a particular type, like maybe she's wearing like loafers with socks and like mixing patterns and you're like, Oh, you're probably a man repeller girl. Right. Throw a tiger Um, earring in there and you're, you're toast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you feel like you went through a phase of like big headedness with it that you've like grown out of? I don't think of you as big headed at all. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if I would ever um, describe the phase as that. But I've definitely gone through phases where like I've, I've oscillated between thinking it's cool and then also thinking it's like thinking it like almost like makes stresses me out a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. Like especially if you like look disgusting right I and then I've gone through weird times where I'm like I'm intentionally making myself not not intentionally making myself look disgusting but intentionally not putting effort into looking better because I'm like I don't want I don't want to become that type of person who's like you know puts on mascara because I think I might be recognized by like a random person on the street you know what I mean like so I almost like (laughs) lean aggressively in the opposite direction sometimes and like show up to like a workout class looking like something that was scraped off the sidewalk <laughs> like almost like to humble myself yeah but like do you feel like you still think about that because I don't feel like it's really going through my head anymore I just feel like I assume that people don't know who I am anymore I don't know obviously it's because of partially because of lockdown but yeah I feel more surprised I mean that's not I, I do think that there are times where I can guess like remember when we went to dinner and that girl brought us our server was like knew who we were and like brought us dessert or something like that yes and she was just yeah she was being so nice about all the questions we were asking about the menu and I feel <laughs> like just like so overly gracious and and it did um I had the same feeling and usually like you kind of get it sounds obnoxious but like you get you start to learn what signs to pick up on <laughs> but yeah anyways, yeah long story short yes I don't I definitely don't think about it as much or it doesn't feel like as much of a novelty or as like at the forefront of my mind anymore and I also tend to know like what environments it will happen in and I have not been in any of those environments since (laughs) you know February (laughs) wait I'm glad you brought up the like the people being really nice because I think that it's such an interesting phenomenon because it makes you realize how famous people must like be deluded because like the the absolute grace and generosity with which like someone who is let's say a fan treats me versus just a stranger it's so different and it's like it makes you realize how warped your sense of reality would be if like you were always surrounded by that all the time totally it would be and to to in a much more extreme extent too because like our level of quote-unquote fame is such a such a not even a drop in the bucket it's like a a fleck <laughs> compared to <laughs> it's a fleck yeah compared to what it's a dust mote it's a dust mite <laughs> a dust mite yeah um yeah but it's like I think you know 
Avi always talks about like um like being like a local hero and how it's like cooler to be known kind of in a in a smaller niche community. And I do sort of feel the coolness of that sometimes. I really do appreciate that. It's really fun to feel maybe more than anything to just like feel a part of something. Yes. I think after feeling really alienated in my in my previous career, it's really comforting to feel like, oh, my my work is like being read and people engage with me. I have I have like email back and forth with people all the time, like long emails, honestly, and like DMs and stuff. And it just feels it doesn't feel one way. It feels two way and it feels um, like special and personal versus just like having someone know your face because you're like a model or whatever. Yeah, it's a very different kind of dynamic because of the nature of the way that I guess like these connections are being made. Um, which is through writing. Um, right. You you wrote in your answer to this question about how like almost like self-conscious you feel after you have one of these encounters and like how you came off. Yeah. And like whether you were like nice enough back or whatever. And I, I really identified with that because I, after like it's almost like it feels so special every time someone recognizes me like I it, I know that sounds so special. No, it's so, so special. But then it like I, and it's happened, you know. A number of times but every time it still feels special and I still get thrown off guard a little bit and like panic about like what my facial expression looks like and how I'm responding in real time and um afterward it always feels inadequate <laughs> oh my god me too like I mean we've done this together when we've been recognized as like were we nice enough like right like because I feel so grateful that someone is like I don't know it's kind of awkward to like walk up to somebody you don't know so I always feel like I feel so grateful that they did that that I like want to make sure that my response is like adequate and it never feels adequate. <laughs> yeah, it feels like doing coming up to a stranger and telling them anything nice at all just feels so generous in this world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't I don't feel jaded about it at all. Yeah. I'm not like flipping my hair like another person. <laughs> I'm like absolutely delighted. It just feels like the first time every time. Totally. When someone wrote somewhere, I can't remember where, that like you were rude to them in a sweet green and that you're actually rude, I was horrified because I like watched people come up to you so many times and you're always just an absolute angel and like panic that you weren't angelic enough. And I'm just like, who I I was never I don't think I'll ever forget that comment because like for the rest of my days. (laughs) For the rest of my living days. Um because Because I've just like, I've racked my brain trying to think of what, when that could have possibly been or how, you know what I mean? And I just, my, I can't, and I'm not even saying this to like pat myself on the back, but I really can't imagine a scenario in which I would just default to being rude to someone who I don't know. No, you're not rude enough. Like, like for anyone listening, like whenever Harling's like privately rude, I like am so (laughs) excited because she's just never rude. Haley loves when I'm rude or mad. (laughs) I do my best to to fulfill the fetish. Um, But anyway, so yeah, I don't know what, who that person was and how that happened, but I hope that it was a made up lie, even though I don't know whether, whether that's the case. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the thing about like gossip and stuff, because it's like, Sometimes when I read gossip about somebody else, I'm like, well, why would that person lie? Like, must be true. And I would, if I didn't know you, I would have probably thought the same thing. And, like, I've read, like, complete lies about myself, too. And it doesn't seem like the person would have any reason to lie. But I don't know. I guess that people just do. I don't know. It's, like, really, it's it's very confusing. But anyway, yeah. It, like, it, it, 
interesting because having now read stuff like that about myself on the internet written by strangers, it does give me a lot of empathy just for like, I don't know, this is a complicated topic, but like, not empathy, but like more um, perspective on how there are usually two sides to a story. Um, Oh, yeah. And so just like, and I agree with you in the past, like I would be more, um, I would fall into the trap of like immediately assuming that something was said that is said anonymously is true because it's anonymous. Like what, what stake do they have? Um, yeah. But now I definitely have like a very sharp awareness of like how easy it is to, to flatten someone on the internet into this like conglomeration of things that other people who don't know them have said about them (laughs) yeah it's very complex and confusing um which actually brings me to like maybe the other side of this which is like what has been hard about the attention like what's been challenging I talked a little bit about like the first time I read like gossip about me which said that that I was like really try hard and like the thing that hurt the most was that like they accused me of thinking I was a better writer than I was. And this was like, this was such a hard time because I was like writing professionally for the first time. I felt like really um, unfit. I just felt constantly like I was fighting to be worthy of the job. And I was starting to gain a little confidence. So like to, to see that and like, you know, when someone says like that kind of insult like you think you're better than you are it's like really designed to like cut to your core (laughs) right because it turns an insecurity into I don't don't know what what the right word is into something um into a flaw I guess yeah or wants to rob you of your confidence like which is just a really cruel type of insult but anyway um maybe they were right like I don't know but I remember do you remember that after I saw that? Yeah, I do remember it. I I mean, because you sent me the the link to that shit, that thread of gossip. I think it was on, like, Get Off My Internet. Yeah, totally. I think that, like, I didn't realize until much later, I think, like, how deeply it had affected you. Like, I knew at the time you were really upset, but, like, I didn't realize how long the tail on that was. Yeah. And now, like, I totally understand why that was the case. But, like, it really is – it's – it's incredible and dangerous how how the how words that were said anonymously on the internet can like have such a can sink in so their hooks are deep you know yeah they're really deep wait so what makes you realize now how much it hurt is it from like your own experiences yeah absolutely I think um I think like I do you remember that essay I wrote a few years ago for Man Repeller about how um my anxiety that I was better on the internet than I am in real life mm-hmm. um yeah I, like basically for those for people who haven't read it I, I wrote about how like I thought I, I had this stress that I was better on the internet than I am in real life because on the internet I'm less awkward I'm more confident I'm wittier um essentially because like the environment is so much more controlled which means I can more easily put forth what I consider are like the best and shiniest parts of who I am while the parts I'm ashamed of are kept private and it's funny because like now that I've been a person on the internet with a capital P for longer and I've I've read things about myself that people have said about me that feel like where I feel grossly misunderstood. Um, I have like the complete opposite take 
Like, I know that I'm actually better in real life than I am on the internet. And that's... <laughs> I was just going to say, I think you're definitely better in real life. And actually, I think, like, whatever. I can't tell if this sounds like braggy or something, but I think I am too. And that's what makes stresses me out. Yeah. But, like, exactly. I feel like, I feel like you can't, it's hard to transmit. I mean, I'm sure I'm worse in real life in other ways too, because you can't, obviously you're not like putting your flaws on display, but I think that some, this is true for most people. I think most people are better in real life. Right. And right? it's not necessarily like that you're just like, that everything about you was amazing in real life. It's just that in real life, you you are whole and complete and that makes you better. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yes. in real life, you're a three-dimensional human being and that is automatically better than whatever like caricature of you exists on the internet, just point blank. Yes. I mean, do you feel like there are people who are better on the internet? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel, I can think of, I can think of someone who I think is, <laughs> they're, <laughs> <laughs> not name and names but like someone who I think is their humor is like really well suited and like almost their narcissism is like really well suited to the the like um the medium of like captions and tweets and stuff but that I actually think in real life that narcissism um and like it is is sort of a hindrance to like connection and I find them to be actually like not as funny and like a little bit like to up their own ass like I feel like there's actually that's sometimes I've experienced that with like actually I can think of a few people who fall into that category totally that's rare I think that like those people have been almost like their brains have been damaged by being amazing on the internet like it's almost like (laughs) you then they like forget how to function in reality in a weird way (laughs) yeah that is so interesting yeah it's almost like the cause and effect um it's not that they were always worse in real life but maybe the internet made them yeah exactly like I think in general like the fact that social media only skims the surface of who people are can be like really misleading and maybe a little bit dangerous but um yeah maybe it's it can be misleading in a bad way or a good way yeah that's that's absolutely true (laughs) yeah because I mean I've met people who were like really um like stuck up in real life compared to their internet persona. Right. And whoever they are on the internet doesn't necessarily expose that aspect of them. Right. Right. So I guess, yeah, I guess it circles back to just like, you're not really seeing the whole person either way. Yeah. I think like the opposite of that is that like, I've met people who like on the internet, they seem like really vain and narcissistic and like kind of shallow. And then in real life, they're like, lovely and have so much depth and they're really down to earth so it it definitely it's the tip of the iceberg and the rest of the iceberg can it can go either way yeah so it's complicated but um yeah I think that obviously the sort of disconnect between who you are in real life and who you are online I think sometimes it served us obviously like I think I've mentioned that like there was a strong parasocial relationship between the man repeller staff or at least the public facing ones and the people who were reading and I do think that sometimes we stood to benefit from that like they couldn't really see our whole selves and so maybe some people were really we were really beloved beyond like more than they would love us in real life I don't know if that's true but um I'm just trying to like explain that I understand that they like that the kind of the good and the bad go together Um, yeah it's like you're too I think you can be like there's such um it's a it's a situation of extremes like there's no you're either like you're getting like maybe praise sometimes like I felt like I didn't deserve the like the like the good oh my things. god you know what I mean all the time like when you know what the you know what I always think of <laughs> is the comment that would be like 
Haley's done it again. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because we would always, like, Haley would write these gorgeous personal essays, like, again and again and again, no, which is no, what no. made people resort to that comment, which I understand, but it did become almost like a joke because people would say that so often. <laughs> no, that is not how I felt about it. I felt that, like, it was embarrassing because I was like, no, I didn't. Like, this piece sucks. <laughs> But I always hated my own pieces, but, but like, yeah, I felt, I felt really embarrassed when someone said that because not on their behalf, just on my behalf. Cause I was like, I'm embarrassed that, that I'm presenting this. I don't know. It's like a, it's a complicated psychology, but I would feel like I was, that comment would imply that like, I thought I was putting out like an amazing right. piece. And like, sometimes I felt like it really fell short. Right. I think it's so easy to feel like a fraud because of nice things people are saying about you on the internet and so easy to feel misunderstood because of mean things people are saying about you on the internet. So it can really go in either direction. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought was pretty tough was that um, it's really or um, it's really hard to respond to criticism on the internet. And I think that um, sometimes we would, we would just do like a more silent approach, which is just like there's nothing I can really say here. Um especially if it was criticism that I felt like wasn't completely fair where like I didn't really want to argue back because it would seem defensive but I also didn't want to say like you're right because then I felt like that was not true or I didn't feel that way (laughs) and so it gives off this impression that like we didn't give a shit and we just like weren't responding because it's like sometimes it would I would imagine how readers felt which is that like we didn't even give a shit and we were just like running off into the sunset with like our new followers and swag but like we were so we were panicking all the time criticism would like ruin our would it would it would affect us for weeks I would say after like some we would receive some some negative feedback um like the reverberation of it just in terms of like how we perceived ourselves at least that was the case for me yeah yeah I mean we went through so many phases with that I feel like there was a period where we were like really defensive there was a period where we like took all feedback almost too much there was a period where we felt misunderstood or where we were like well misunderstandings are on us or like it was just always a really intense process it's just it's interesting to like or it's unusual to be going through that process so publicly yeah without always being able to explain it yeah and I think also just like learning publicly like you know like there was so much feedback that was like very important and valid. And then there was feedback that felt not, you know, felt like it was like nitpicking or not valid or whatever. So like trying to figure out like how to discern what was valid and actually like internalize that and like not internalize the stuff that was like just pure vitriol or whatever. It was like a tricky, a tricky thing to navigate. And I think it's something that like I still am learning. Um, And so, you know, not, it, it, it was hard to know how to respond sometimes. And I think that like, because I was just, I was just all like, it was almost like a fear response. And my instinct was then to just retreat. Um, and that's not always the best response. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so hard to communicate on the internet. It's just like, that's always my ultimate upshot. <laughs> yeah. Is that there's so much room for misunderstanding. And I think being a more public facing person and like our followings are still meager like I'm shocked all the time by like how many random people just have like 10 million followers and I've just like never heard of them 
<laughs> so I can't imagine like what those people are going through. Like I'm sure it's on another level. Um, I'm always, I become like really fascinated with certain figures on the internet who like seem really unconcerned with being unliked. Um, like I can't imagine just not caring or like what I think of it as is like not caring if someone you don't like or disagree with doesn't like you or agree with you does that make sense right like Like, only caring about the right people but like I really struggle with that right that's such a skill it's really a skill (laughs) well especially because sometimes I feel like me and the person would ostensibly agree but they're just like misunderstanding me and then I don't really know where to go from there because like for me to be like well wait I actually am this way I think we agree it doesn't always come off the right way (laughs) so it's just it's very confusing I don't know I also think a lot of the time I'm like if we were having this conversation in person we would become friends at the end you know what I mean or something like that because like clearly like you're here in the first place because you want to engage and I can you know like and that's obvious and but the problem with the internet is that like it's hard to net out in that place when you're just faceless voids yeah yes totally okay I feel like that's good um just for lack of like sake of time I'm not going to get into like freebie stuff but if somebody wants to check that out I wrote a little bit about like the kind of consumerist side of influencing um, in the newsletter. I know. I feel like there's so much that we have. Oh, my God. Like there's so much more to say, but we need to cut it. We, we, we have to invite me back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll have you back for sure. Thank you. Um, there is so much more we could say, but I, I feel like I wonder if people are going to be bored. Yeah, that's, that's extremely fair. <laughs> I can't tell. I never know what people want. This is like my problem with the podcast is I'm like, I can't tell what people want. But you know what? this is what it's for we're experimenting we're trying things out um exactly yeah and and influencing is kind of I like in hindsight I'm like embarrassed that we spent so much time talking about such a stupid topic during like a global emergency but yeah whatever I had the question it's part of our social fabric and you know maybe someone will find it interesting yeah and I think it's honestly become for better or for worse, even more relevant as a result of our isolation. So yeah, it's become like an organizing principle of communication. Yeah. Uh, and with everybody fighting online, especially relevant. Yeah. I feel like let's just call it, Harles. What do you think? <sighs> yes, let's call it. Okay. Any final thoughts? I love you and I miss you. I love you and miss you too. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. This is such a treat. (laughs) I hope to have you back one day. Thank you so much. Okay. That's it, y'all. What did you think? It was a really, really long podcast, but I feel like I kind of like long podcasts when I'm interested in the topic, so I guess it remains to be seen whether this applied, but... um, I really enjoyed having guests. I felt like less of a robot and um, I hope it made for a more dynamic listening experience. So um, if you have any thoughts or comments, please leave them. Very curious for feedback. Um, I really appreciated the people who weighed in about um, kind of the previous format and I'm really excited to keep experimenting with what this podcast can be. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.